one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey everybody, hope you're all doing well. My name is Steven and this is the Storytime channel. Today we've got some malicious compliance stories, so let's jump right into our first story of the day by Desert Dweller. Lawyer makes post-car accident worse for his client. I used to work in the claims department for one of the top auto insurance companies in America. I get a phone call from a lawyer looking to file a new accident claim for his client. His client is also my customer. I explain that I can take the initial report from the lawyer but will be contacting the client to get his side of the story. The lawyer immediately tells me that I am not to contact the client because he is being represented by a lawyer. I explain that until I have an official letter of representation on file, I have every right to contact the client. So anyway, I proceed to gather all the details from the lawyer. Once I finish filing the claim, I generate a claim number and give it to the lawyer. The lawyer was stalling me a little bit and I soon realized why. He was using the time to get an official letter of representation on file so I couldn't contact his client, also my customer. Which he did and now I'm not able to speak with the client unless given permission by the lawyer. The lawyer was a total pompous butt and was definitely trying to throw his weight around just to show he was important. He definitely thought he was putting me in my place. He proceeds to tell me that the client has minor injuries such as back and neck pain and is going to see a doctor. I explain that the client may see whatever doctor he wishes, but that it's best to have us get in contact with his doctor of choice as soon as possible so we can start using the coverage to pay for any medical bills. The lawyer gets all huffy puffy with me and tells me that the client will go see a doctor and get all the medical help he needs and once it's all done and over with, he will send us a bill that we will be required to pay in full. I explain it doesn't work that way. Some doctors require certain payments from insurance companies up front or at least be in contact with the insurance company to confirm certain payments will be paid. I also explain that the client only had a certain amount of coverage that he pays for. We are not required as an insurance company to pay more than what the client has on his policy. For example, if the client has $10,000 in coverage, we would only pay half of a $20,000 medical bill. I also explain that if the doctor hasn't been in contact with an insurance company, they may charge the client and the client will have to go through a different, longer process for us to reimburse them than if we just paid the doctor up front. Now I know this sounds like a bunch of corporate BS and it is, but I don't make the rules. I'm really trying my hardest to make this as easy as possible for the client, but the lawyer just isn't having it at all. The lawyer demands that the client will go to whatever doctor he wants and will receive whatever treatment he wants and that we will pay for it in full and the client will pay nothing out of pocket regardless of the cost of treatment. I went back and forth with the lawyer but eventually you gotta understand that you're just going in circles and it's time to just take the loss. So I do and we move on to the vehicle. Lawyer says it's damaged but the client drove the car from the accident scene to straight to the lawyer's office. The windshield was damaged and there were fluids leaking from the car. I recommended that we tow the vehicle to a repair shop. I explained the customer had towing coverage and we can get a tow truck free of charge. The lawyer refuses and says the client can drive the car. The lawyer also demands that the client uses a repair shop of his choice. 
I explained to the lawyer that the client is absolutely allowed to use a shop of his choice, but that we have to send an adjuster out to the car to inspect the damage and give a quote to the repair shop. The reason we did this is a lot of times body shops will take advantage of insurance companies because they know we will pay and the shops fix things that don't need to be fixed and purposely buy more expensive parts to hike up the price. It's pretty much insurance fraud. So we usually send an expert of our own out to assess the damage and write up a fair and legit repair estimate. The lawyer refuses and says that he isn't telling us the shop that the car is going to and once again we will get a bill once all the work is done and we will be required to pay the full bill regardless of the price. I explain that we do not cover the cost of aftermarket parts, only factory parts. It is listed in our contract. The customer agreed to this when he signed up. Once again, corporate BS, I know, but I don't make the rules and I really am trying to help the customer out here so he doesn't have a bunch of unnecessary crap to deal with. I argued with this lawyer for a long time about how things work and why the way he was trying to handle this was going to end up costing the client money. The lawyer was on a path of destruction and was making every possible scenario worse for the client. The lawyer wasn't having any of it and of course threatened to sue and all that crap. I finally gave in and let the lawyer do whatever he wanted. I knew the worst case scenario would come of this and figured I'd let the lawyer and client feel the consequences of their stupid decisions and the lawyer trying to assert his dominance. I let him and his client do what they thought was best. I mean, why listen to the professional, right? What ends up happening is the customer takes the car to some sketchy shop. They do exactly what we feared and jack the price way up. They put expensive aftermarket replacement parts on the car which we don't cover. The customer had to pay out of pocket for a bunch of stuff to the repair shop. The repair shop took longer than 30 days to repair his car because the longer they have the car, the more they can charge. We only cover 30 days for a rental car so the client ends up paying out of pocket for a rental car too. Also the client had to pay some out of pocket expenses to his doctor. We ended up reimbursing him for the doctor bills, but it was a long, drawn-out process and very frustrating. We did not refund him for some of the expenses at the body shop, which amount to more than $1,000. In the end, the customer had a ton more out-of-pocket expenses and headaches because of his a-hole lawyer. I definitely don't know what this lawyer's deal was, maybe the longer they could draw the whole thing out the more money they could make off the client? Or maybe they were power tripping and they needed that fulfillment of it's my way or the highway and this is how it's gonna be. I spent way too long getting this education for this job and now I'm going to take it out on you. I would just imagine that if there's somebody working as an adjuster, they're trying to help you out as much as possible, right? Considering to begin with that the client drove the car from the accident scene straight to the lawyer's office, do you think this was the client's idea all along or do you think it was the lawyer's prerogative? Let me know in the comments down below. Our next story is by Nina Rocks. Give me what I want or I'll cancel my service. I'll be keeping this pretty short and simple. My brother works in the loyalty department for a pay TV company in the US. By loyalty, I mean he's like one of the people in charge of giving last-ditch efforts to keep customers by trying to negotiate packages with people before they cancel. In case you don't know anything about the pay TV industry, basically channel owners make contracts with pay TV companies for streaming rights. 
This happens every year, so when you sign a two-year contract, the company is essentially paying part of the cost of your package for the next two years, with the deficit being even higher in the second year of your contract because the prices of those channels have already gone up. This is why pay TV prices go up so drastically after a price lock contract expires. Another thing a lot of people don't know is that it takes three to four years of service with one customer to be able to break even on investing in promotions and such, so my brother can actually lose some hefty points on his metrics for every cancel. There are some people though that he just refuses to take any BS from. My brother received a phone call from a lovely Karen one day and it seemed she had been transferred to him. He answers, Hello and thank you for choosing Pay TV Company. This is X. With whom do I have the pleasure of speaking to? To which the Karen responds, I just want exactly what I have now for the same price without you changing my account and I want a price lock contract for two years. The Karen was belligerent and went on a rant about how she didn't want to pay more for the same channels and how she wasn't taking no for an answer. This went on for a solid five minutes. She never even let my brother get a word in. There was a point that she said the magic words for my brother, which was, I'm not here to negotiate. You give me my channels for the exact same price for two years or I will cancel my subscription. My brother patiently waited until she was done verbally assaulting him and waited for about 30 seconds before he spoke. Cue malicious compliance. My brother calmly responded with, Okay, so to which address am I sending the return boxes to? What do you mean by return boxes? Well, you told me you don't want to negotiate and I can't give you what you're asking for, so your service will be cancelled as of today. Is so and so the correct address to send the boxes to? She went on a rant about what lousy customer service the company had, went back and forth with my brother for a little longer, and then eventually hung up without cancelling her account. Hey, at least my brother's metrics weren't affected. I definitely don't envy the people who work in jobs like that where literally just doing your job can cause you to lose some hefty points on your metrics every time somebody actually cancels. Your job is to just try and retain somebody. They're on their way out, they want out, they've already expressed they're going to cancel and your job is to try to be the last ditch effort to reel them in and if you can't do it, you lose points, you lose metrics. That's a tough job. You gotta be a good salesperson to have that job. Our next story is by Shimakazi4. Don't ask a question you might not want to hear an answer to. This one comes from my old man. He used to work at Ford Motor Company for many years and has many stories to tell of how insane it was to work there. However, this one is short and sweet and I found it hilarious. Anyways, as you might imagine, there were many hundreds of workers on site and most drove to work in a variety of cars. Management and HR decided that it would be best for the company if as many people as possible drove a Ford. So they printed off a crap load of flyers that said, why isn't this a Ford, on it and put them on the windscreens of all the employee cars that were not Fords. Cue hundreds of flyers coming back to HR and management with the statement, because you don't freaking pay us enough, and various other offensive words written on them. Management decided that they didn't care what car their employees drove after that. I would definitely think that it's a little too lofty a goal to expect all your normal workers at a motor company that assemble vehicles and whatnot all drive Fords. Oftentimes, they would probably be driving stuff that they can just afford, regardless of what make it is. This next story is by Dragon Girl Messaloon. Always run both washers and submit a new maintenance request for every error? You got it. Background. 
I work for a large research company washing lab glassware in one of several buildings. Most of the buildings have these nice washers that let us fit a fair amount of stuff and allow us to mix washes. We can wash small stuff like stir bars, bottle caps, stoppers, and big stuff like 2 liter glass bottles in the same wash, instead of all big stuff or all small or medium. Problem is, the washers are way over engineered, so at the slightest problem they will shut off and show an error. If you get an error, you are supposed to submit a maintenance request detailing what the error was and what it occurred so a technician can come out and fix it. But usually the problem is solved by turning the washer off and on again, entering a code and restarting it. It can get annoying because each wash takes an hour and a half, but you can't rush them. Setup The building I'm currently in has two washers, but the water pressure in this particular building is terrible during my shift, 6.30am to 2.30pm resulting in one of the washers getting constant errors if I run both of them simultaneously. A technician has been out to check in multiple times and has always said that nothing is wrong. I work around this by only running one washer during the day. I thought it worked pretty well, until my boss called me in to talk today. Apparently, the people on the second and third shift have complained that I've been leaving them too much to do by only running one washer. So I calmly explain the situation to him, and this is what he says. That can't be right. Second and third don't have this problem. Just run both washers and always submit a request whenever one shuts down. Game on. The compliance. So I go back to my washroom, load both up and start them. As I expect, after a few minutes, one gets an error and shuts off. So I open up my computer and submit a request. Then I shut off the washer, turn it back on, and start it again. Again, error, and again, another request. I repeat this about five more times, all within a 15-minute time frame, before I break for lunch, eagerly awaiting the fallout. The fallout. Sure enough, when I come back from lunch, there's an email from my boss. Boss says, OP, I've noticed you submitted requests on the same washer error several times. Is this some sort of computer error? I say, nope, just putting in a request for every error like you told me. Should I keep running the washer? My boss quickly emailed one of my coworkers and confirmed the error was a water pressure problem. Needless to say, he told me to stop running the other washer. Well, at least in the end it was revealed that OP wasn't crazy and wasn't making this stuff up. It very clearly was a water pressure problem and it was proof. At least in the end, OP was vindicated. And our final story of the day is by The Barking Ant, Video Conferencing. When my company had us start working from home, we started doing our team meetings via Skype. Our manager told us we didn't have to use our cameras, we could just be on audio. All of a sudden, she decides that now everyone has to be on video because she likes to see us. Whatever, she's just someone who says one thing and then does something totally different. For instance, she tells us to double-check our time cards on Friday mornings and correct any mistakes, but then checks them daily and sends you a message saying that something is wrong on your card. If you remind her that she told you to check on Fridays and the day is only Wednesday, she gets all pissy and says, well, there shouldn't be mistakes anyway, so I'm telling you now, and then reminds you to always check on Fridays. It's very frustrating. Anywho, I was kinda irritated about the whole change of whim regarding the video camera. So I had to comply, but I threw in a curveball. I bought a Pennywise clown mask online and wore it to the next meeting. 
The look on her face when I showed up on camera was priceless. She was so unnerved. Partway through the meeting, she was so distracted, she said, Jennifer, that mask is really disturbing. I shrugged my shoulders and said, I didn't have time to do my hair or makeup. She just glared in the camera, then moved on. I'm sure she's going to address the mask offline and tell me that I can't wear that anymore because it's unprofessional, but I'm telling you, it was worth it just to see the look of shock, then irritation, then her trying to ignore it and finally being totally flummoxed and distracted. Viva la resistance. (laughs) I I love that explanation. Well, I didn't have time to do my hair or my makeup, so I, you know, I just had to bust out my Pennywise mask and deal with that. I'm almost 100% sure that OP got a nice little talking to after the meeting, being told, OP, listen, you can't wear a Pennywise mask to our Skype meetings. Please remain a little bit more professional. If you gotta do your hair, take the extra time to do your hair or something like that. Surprising, funny, but probably a one-off, unfortunately. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today, so if you enjoyed the stories today, please consider giving the video a like, and if you haven't, subscribe and turn notifications on so you'll never miss an upcoming video. And if you had a favorite story of the day, let me know which one and why in the comments down below. But no matter what you did, whether it was liking, commenting, subscribing, whatever you did, thank you all so very much for supporting me right here on the Storytime channel. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and as always, I'll be back tomorrow with more Reddit stories right here on the Storytime channel.